something that makes them stand out. Um, they're just, for that yeah, reason. it's just they're glorious that way. And on that, I'm going to say, welcome to Geeks with Kids, your bi-weekly-ish uh, Ish. podcast from a parenting point of view sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Uh, I am your host this week, Matt Moore, and this is a, we are in an interesting scenario right now, whereas those of, uh, those of you that caught our live last week and watched, uh, watched our live stream on this episode will suddenly wonder, this sounds a little different because we had some, some technical gremlins jump into the mashup and we actually lost all the audio from that live episode. <laughs> but because we are dedicated to our fans, we are going to re-record this and cover the same material. So if you saw the live, you're going to get it again with a week's worth of reflection on it. Uh, <laughs> as I said, I am your host, Matt. With me this episode, we have Steve and Hawk. Uh, Eric is off this week and Marcus is lost somewhere in the ether, but hopefully we'll have them back soon. Yeah. The gremlins got them both. I think exactly. Um, I'm not so sure about a week's reflection. I, I think it's more of a, a week's uh, memory loss. Uh, so uh, it's going to be interesting. Same thing. It's interesting. You say that I, I I'm having trouble remembering all the movies that we watched. Yeah, I know. Matt's going to surprise us with the, That's with the That's movies, movies that we already though. watched. <laughs> this is going to be live reacts to movies that we've already talked about. Never before has this been done. I love it. It makes, <laughs> but we will start off as we always do by me asking that age old question. Hey Hawk, what's good? Uh, now if you're asking about what is my, um, I knew it. (laughs) I don't know why I always get surprised by it, but dang it. I always get surprised by it. Nothing surprises me when it comes to this now. (laughs) So currently I have two, so I'm just going to go through them really quick. Um, Saturday, I managed to catch up on uh, some movies in the backlog and that and watch little monsters, uh, starring a little Peter Nyong'o. Oh, and Josh Gad. Yeah. What is that? It's Sorry, a, it sounds familiar, right? I can't quite play. It's really good. It's this, it's a zombie comedy and that starring the two of them. Josh Gad oh. plays probably one of the biggest pricks I've ever seen on screen. Nice. Okay. Oh, super yeah. super funny. It's got the subversive humor to it and the, especially all the swearing around the little kids. Mm-hmm. Um so I, and uh, you know Good, good little story. Go watch it. Yeah, basically, like uh, kind of a daycare and their daycare and their keeper uh, during zombie apocalypse have to get the kids out safely. All right, hilarity and hilarity ensues. Sounds good because the kids are are at times more adept at survival than the adults. So yeah, okay. and again, like yeah, like Hawk said, Josh Gad is just a, a glowing prick in that film. Uh, made best by the fact that he's also a kids show host. So like there's that duality of him being all light and fluffy and then a completely reprehensible shit the rest of the time. It's, it's nice. Lo- it's lovely. It's a great film. Oh, I gotta check this out. Yeah, and what uh, else uh, you were saying, Hawk? Second thing I want to mention real quick. I came in late Saturday night after doing our, uh, the podcast recording for ASN and P and uh, to my surprise, when I turned the PlayStation on checked under the video section on that crave now has a PS4 app. Yeah, I I had no, I did not know this was coming. It was quite a surprise. Uh, it just made the whole subscription uh, actually worthwhile now. Yeah, huh. it's that much easier to watch it now, which is fantastic. Yeah, that can be yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. I'm catching up on Killing Eve right now. So nice, nice, very good. All right, well, Steve, I will then ask you, what's good? I don't know. I feel like I'm always saying the same stuff, but uh, I guess one minor change from last week, because I, I might have been talking about a video game last time, but I don't remember now. But yeah, as, as always, I'm, I'm on my Warhammer 40k journey, and I finally finished the first 10 books out of 56. 
now, bear in mind that I'm doing this because I'm enjoying myself so much, and it is this fantastic, you know, collaboration between all these authors, and they planned it all out. And I have actually listened to a handful of other ones too, so it's not like I have to listen to all 50. It's probably about 35 I've still got to listen to, and these are like 30-hour your audiobook. So I, we'll see how long it takes. I, I'm, I'm trying to race against, uh, I have, I think I'm giving myself two years, uh, maybe one year to do it. So I have time. The reason being that when this is all over, uh, cause the whole thing, the horse heresy is just this huge galactic civil war. It mm-hmm. culminates with, uh, the siege of terror, the invasion of earth. And that, uh, is scheduled to end in about a year or two. Uh, they're currently putting the books out because even the invasion is probably going to be five or six books long. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, I have three have already come out. I think there's going to be two or three more left. So, nice. so yeah, but I finally finished all 10 because last week <laughs> I had not actually finished the first 10. Uh, and I'm actually now under book 12 or something. So, uh, so I'm nice. making progress. Yeah. There yeah. You go. Yeah. And, uh, and then on the video game side, um, yeah, yeah. I was enjoying a lot of Vermintide and, uh, yeah, it's a lot of games workshop stuff right now, but I'm going to try to start doing some streams. So there's no promises because I haven't been able to really follow up on anything I've wanted to do for the last six mm-hmm. months, but um, trying to get a nice setup. I even got some little sort of, you know, fun stuff if it works. Uh, so yeah, so I'm going to play some uh, 40k games and, uh, and they're not very good, but I'm going to try to make them fun. And uh, yeah, um, some of you may know that my, uh, my moniker online uh, on my channel is uh, Indo Scream and on PSN as well. But I'm going to call it the Indo Stream. Eh, clever, right? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> it came to me last night. Yeah. Branding, branding. So that's my good. That is good. Um, let's see. I'll, I'll guess I'll, I'll cover me before we dive on into it. Um, gosh. Lots of, again, lots of horror movies. I've been catching up on that a lot. Um, I'm trying to remember. Prime Video has just recently, and when I say recently, within the last week or so, uh, released a, a short, a short-ish film series called Welcome to the Blumhouse. Oh. Uh, Blumhouse Ooh. Pictures has basically released their sort of take on Black Mirror. They've released, uh, as of right now, four medium-length horror films that are all oh kind of Blumhouse centric but they've created it's this universe uh, of theirs okay which I I've been waiting to hear I'd been I'd heard about I knew it was coming I've been waiting to see it and finally they dropped last week I have not watched any of them yet so I cannot speak to the con to the quality I've heard great things from people whose opinions I do respect um so I'm definitely going to start checking that out I also made an acquisition yesterday that I'm not the most proud of but damn it I had to do it for the sake of completion uh, oh this past week, Tales from the Hood Part 3 came out. <laughs> oh, God. Starring uh, Tony Todd. Uh, okay, well, I know I've, I know I've spoken of my love for the original one in the past. Um, the second one was at best questionable. I never saw it. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in the third one, but damn it, I will watch it because it's $10 and I didn't care that much, but I really felt the need to add to my horror collection. Fair. Uh, I picked up a lot of stuff. I picked up Gremlins 2 as well on Blu-ray. Cause well, that's I, highly underrated. So I, I, I it really I, is. I stand by that purchase. I watched it with Jen last night and Larry at the, at the menu screen, they had the theme music and I was just dancing away. And she's like, what is your deal with that song? I'm like, it is an iconic <laughs> theme song and I will dance to it. God damn it. Uh, picked up that, picked up, they live on Blu-ray. Cause it was the, they oh. did a remaster of that, which oh, nice. I love. Nice. Cause Roddy Piper, come on now. 
<laughs> Where would Duke yeah. Nukem be without that movie? <laughs> like, oh, and his fist fight with Keith, like Keith David. David. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's so epic, that yeah. scene. Um, and I guess I should, I should probably say this because I've talked about it enough on the podcast. Uh, in a very unique and shocking turn of events, I am now officially the TTWF Universal Champion. Mm-hmm. So for those of you that listen to this and have put up with me talking about it, you're going to hear a lot more about it because damn it, I'm the champ. The champ is here and he is going to talk. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of awesome to have that happen this past weekend. Um, somewhat unexpectedly, uh, which was kind of nice. Um, I'm not going to go into detail on it because damn it, follow me on there and you'll know the whole story. Well, hail, hail to the champ, uh, Matt. Congratulations. <laughs> So that was fun. So that's uh, it was a, rel- a relatively good week. Oh, and also uh, Call of Duty Warzone is in the midst of its Halloween oh, uh, yeah. chicanery, and that's kind of entertaining in its own special way. Yeah, you know what? Actually, let, if you don't mind, maybe we'll spend a couple minutes talking about that. Oh, uh, yeah, I will. Hawk, have you had a chance to try it out yet yourself? Not yet. Uh, I did see Eric posted a stream of his play through it, and that, it looks. Oh yeah, it, it does look pretty fun. No, it's fun. That's fun. I definitely recommend it. I mean, it's only going to be on thing for another week or so. Uh, but yeah, they, they did a lot of like nice Halloween spooky touches. Uh, Matt, what, what have you been sort of doing? Oh, day uh, what one, have you enjoyed? Day one when it launched, I picked up the saw pack because I couldn't yeah. not have that. Yeah. So I'm currently playing that. as Billy the Puppet. Um, <laughs> I like it. I I was very negligent in the last the last little chunk of it. So I'm still finding the new areas. They opened up new areas in it as well. You can actually go into fully into the subway system yes. and the subway cars show up. Yeah. Uh, which was kind of cool, but also like just threw me for a complete loop because it made it that much more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. That's the new thing this season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. no, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I love the concept. The, um, I can't remember, uh, the, the, that spin on infected and Hawk, you'll probably, or not Hawk. See, yeah. you'll remember the Zombie name. Royale. Zombie yes. Royale. Uh, is a lot of fun in an interesting turn of events. I I have kind of walked away from Fortnite a little bit just because it was getting irritating for me. Mm, No, I went back to play that Fortnite has its own variant on that exact on that exact concept where, you know, you get dropped Uh in, you play as the person. And when you die, you come back as a spirit. It's just like the PG version of that. I was like, okay, cool. So you are in fact directly ripping off call of duty at this point. Well done Fortnite. Yeah. Well, you know, good ideas, right? I mean, yeah. If it works, it works, right? I chuckled at it because it just firmly cemented my thank you, Fortnite, for being the watered-down version of Call of Duty. Good times. <laughs> yeah, I still want to, like, actually load up Fortnite, but I've just, I haven't been able to tear my way uh, away from what I've been doing, so I just, uh, I do intend to, because I'm really curious. I mean, you you, you kind of actually made it sound fun, so I, I want to check it out. It, it is fun, um, but it's again, if, if I had to choose between the two of them, Warzone still for me is the more... If you like the shooter aspect of it, Warzone is way more entertaining. Sure. If you just want something to play with your mind shut off, play Fortnite. Because mm-hmm. there's inherently less strategy behind Fortnite than there is Warzone. Because with mm-hmm. the ability to build stuff, it actually makes it a little simpler. Okay. Because you can like, you're, and if someone, if you're getting chased by people and they're shooting at you, you can throw a wall up behind you and you get that buffer. In Warzone, if you're getting chased by someone shooting at you, you're probably going to die. Sure, sure. You were sloppy in the first place. Yeah. So it's, yeah. there's a lot more stealth and tactics involved in Warzone, I find, than Fortnite. You can kind of just run and gun in Fortnite and you might pull through. Nice. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. No, I, I think the Halloween, it's just been a nice little uh, thing. They've really kind of gone, gone all out by, you know, licensing Billy from Saw. And then I went ahead and bought Leatherface nice. uh, on the other side. Uh, and I've really enjoyed that because uh, they put it on a character that actually doesn't speak. Uh, so it's kind of funny because he doesn't ever really say anything, which is actually kind of appropriate. Yeah, it tracks. Um, yeah. And he, uh, they gave him like uh, this, uh, this big machine gun, mm-hmm. but they kind of made it out so that it was kind of like a chainsaw, you know? Yeah. I saw and that so they, they gave it like a weird handle and everything. So it, it looks like a chainsaw, you know, and it's nice. just, I don't know. It's, it's been a lot of fun. And yeah, when you run into somebody wearing Billy or, or Leatherface, it, in the dark, it, it does give you a bit of a, mm-hmm. a bit of a jump. <laughs> yeah. Although there's a hell of a lot of billies and leather faces running around. So. Well, there's also, I mean, just with the that Halloween themed quest with all those chests that have jump scares in them as well, too. Yeah. Which, that's thank you for just making this that much more tense for me. I could yeah. open this chest to get something. Oh, it's a jump scare. Cool. I just shit my pants at two in the morning. Yeah, I, I like how rare they are too, because you do. Yeah. You, you start going through and you forget that it can happen, and it's like, bam, you know, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, ah, you got me. Uh, you. Uh, you. I like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's it's nice to see that a lot of a lot of games actually, I think, have really leaned into the you know let's embrace Halloween and horror this year because a lot of people aren't necessarily going to get it by going out. So I I respect and appreciate that that's happening. Uh, I wish that they would maintain that mentality even not during the midst of a pandemic, but I will take it for what it is right now. Yeah, I wish I had a little more time to actually play more games um, mm-hmm. and enjoy more of these things. So it's good. No, it's been good. It's yeah. A lot of fun. Fantastic. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, I had a friend come to visit, and uh, he wanted he 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 bought a bunch of like old Stephen King books, and we were talking about it, like, oh, we should totally do like a Stephen King movie night, you know? So I went and I gathered all these Stephen King stuff, and it's just I'm I'm shocked at how much Stephen King was made into whatever for like the last 30 years. Right. <laughs> like it's so ridiculous. Like right? it's so much of it are just short stories and they're thrown either into anthologies or yeah. they were developed the TV movies, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I'd actually seen uh, one of the films we'll be talking about yeah. later uh, recently, but it's a, uh, it, it's, it's amazing because the quality, like it's all over the place, but most of it was just sort of TV quality and it's kind yeah. of a shame, but there were still good moments, you know, here and there, but it's so strange that he got monetized like that, like so hard. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he was, we'll, we'll get to this when we get to his episode. And I think we can dive on this. Definitely. Uh, knowing this information now, we can definitely talk about that. Mm-hmm. So blah, 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 blah. We just finished that. Uh, what's good. So that's, uh, so I'll just say, blah, 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 blah. So that's pretty much, uh, that's pretty much everything that is good. Uh, and now we are going to take that deep dive trek. Hopefully this will work this time. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> into uh, a quick collection of what I like to classify as must-see horror films. Uh, these are definitely movies that if you have not seen them, you owe it to yourself as a cinematic viewer to watch these. Uh, but no pressure, but also watch these movies, and if you don't, I'll be very ashamed of you. Um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to start the list off as I move my notes in front of me. Uh, I'm going to start off with, again, this is one of, this to me, and I, I'm going to use one of Steve's terms here, I like to classify this as the closest to a perfect horror movie I've ever seen. Uh, and it is 2010's insidious. I do um, remember last week I called this the quintessential Matt film and I, I it think truly is. is, it is a very good um, yeah. exemplary 
yeah. of the types of things that you look for. Yeah, it's 100. It's uh, released September 14th, 2010. Directed by James Wan and written by Lee Wanell, uh, starring Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, Barbara and Barbara Hershey. I think that's mm-hmm. everyone. That's mm-hmm. I was gonna say that's everyone. That's the the three primes. Yeah. Um, I love. I mean, I've said this before. I'll say it again, and I will maintain to say it. I love this. I love this movie. I love this franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they did exceptional work on it. Uh, this movie in particular, um, just it hit all the right notes at all the right times. Even rewatching it, yeah, like knowing what's going to happen, there's still that level of tension watching it that's just involuntary. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I I will give full respect to any movie that i mean just through the use of sound can make things creepy i mean especially when it can take a song like this and just ruin your day by hearing it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's yeah another film that has taken a song and uh, and utterly perverted it for all time well i mean let's not let's not go too crazy with that that song wasn't exactly a feel-good song to begin with and i loved i respected him as an artist but gosh damn it that man had just an eerie voice for what he for his look and that song is just unnerving at the best of times and then to take that and use it in the film the way they did was just brilliant yeah i i often gripe (laughs) about uh and you know well well, everything but uh in, in horror movies in particular it's it's where you know i feel that there's a line and, you know, I, I think this is something that, you know, you know, we all can disagree or agree on, but there's like thresholds of what I find like cheap and like, mm-hmm. you know, trashy, you know, and, and that's the thing with like Juan's work is he, he has a great grasp on what all those people who fail at jump scares at throwing a ironic song into the mix at all those sorts of things that those people who try to copy from a movie that actually did it right. Juan understands why the original did it right. And he's able to create brand new films. Exactly. Like you said, with the sound and the way it's shot. And so, no, he is truly like one of the horror masters. Uh, and it's great that he's getting so much work these days. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like I, I said this when we did our live stream, um, it's, it's just the way that he aims a camera. Cre- like he's a master at creating tension. And even creating tension where there isn't necessarily any tension, but just the way that he sets up a shot and he sets up a camera and the use of not only the light, but darkness in this movie mm. where he uses like what I like to call the jaws principle where what you're not seeing is way more terrifying than what you do see. Mm-hmm. The only difference is this time when you do see it, it actually is as terrifying as you thought it was sometimes mm. worse. And by that point you can't get away from it. So it's just, yeah, that's why I say it's like a perfect horror movie. Yeah, yeah. There are these scenes that are shot in broad daylight, which are are still scarier than some than most like movies yeah. uh, cast in a dark setting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's the uh, the one sequence from this movie that everyone knows. It's what I call the di- the dinner the dining room table sequence that everyone is familiar with. And I was thinking about it since we last spoke about this, and I realized the reason that that scene got me as bad as it did, even knowing that it was coming, because again they used that shot in the trailers. Mm-hmm. of the, the red-faced demon behind Patrick Wilson. It's not a spoiler. It's in the trailer. Mm-hmm. So seeing that that conversation was set up because I recognized the shots leading up to it, I'm like, this is, okay, this is where it's coming. But even just 
knowing that that's there and seeing it, it still gets me and it gets me because it uses the same principle that the grudge used where you see the reflection of the ghost in the window. It's broad daylight. There's a group of people around and they're having a, like it's people having a conversation that is whilst they're talking about that, it's, it breaks a rule because that's not a thing that ever happens in horror movies. Usually it's only like one person by themselves in a dark room. This is a group of like four or five people sitting around a table, having a conversation. And then, Oh, by the way, there's a scary ass demon right there. Yeah. No, sorry. Like, when you start breaking the rules of horror conventions, it, it fucks with my head and I love it. I will love you forever for that because you've surprised me. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I, he, he's just, he's so, he's so masterful in how he uh, uses those conventions to the advantage of the film. And I just, I think he's great. Yeah. The, the creature design for the demon that um, the last time I saw something that innovative was when it was attack the block. Uh, because oh, yeah. I always admired the way did you know they went for a very simple yet very effective design in that yeah. creating like this like inky black uh, persona and that with just a flash of of color in that to draw your attention yeah. to it and that yeah. it made it really nebulous in that uh, and the fact that we never really get a clear shot of him throughout the entire movie mm-hmm. uh, it still makes him terrifying absolutely even on a second third watch doesn't matter yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, that was, uh, there's that primary, the, you know, the red face demon is the lipstick face demon. It has various different names depending on who's referring to it. But there's also, I mean, you have the woman in black, like the, the veiled woman, you have so many different little demons and creatures that pop up in this movie. All of them, like, you only get glimpses, but just even those glimpses, I'm like, I want to know more about that. And he subscribes to the less is more. Yeah. Like even when you see the red faced demon at the very end, kind of in its full state, you still never really see it just standing there all by itself. There's always, excuse me, weird lighting and weird obfuscation to prevent you from ever seeing the thing in its entirety, which again, makes it scary. Yeah. More effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, this is a movie. If you have not seen this movie by now, I recommend it. I recommend watching the entire, at least insidious right. one and two, because the sequel to this, Insidious Chapter 2 literally begins at the end of Insidious 1. It is one movie. Mm -hmm. It's split into two parts. Um, Both those movies are worth watching because the second part continues the story and finishes out that tale. Yeah. 100% worth watching. The whole series is fantastic. Um, And again, James Wan and Lee Wan will um, first work together on 2003's Saw. That's mm-hmm. where they'd met and worked on that. So they, and they have a very long history of working together and collaborating together as does James Wan and Patrick Wilson, because I mean, I can watch <laughs> Patrick Wilson in anything. That man's a genius. Yeah. He's so underrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's funny. I, I mentioned this last week, how I had not actually watched the rest because I kind of assumed they were like rushed, like, you know, cheap, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, you, you mentioned that there was at least some continuity in terms of the creative side. So Absolutely. they actually are, you know, worthwhile and connected. Cause I always felt like the conjuring was sort of like the penultimate, you know, collaborate, uh, ration movie. But, um, now I'm very intrigued to watch this set. Yeah. Uh, for it's, uh, and that's just it. That's why like, those are the two series that I will always hold as my two favorites because, and it's not just because James Wan is responsible for both, but I mean, having him responsible for both, they're two different types of movie, mm-hmm. but you can definitely see his influence on both of them. Right. Uh, he definitely has a style and it's a style that I will pay money to see every single time. Yeah. Yeah. 
he re- he's made a re- he made a real return back to kind of classic f- film mm-hmm. uh, cinematography in that like yeah. pr- jump scares have mainly come out of like you know the found footage or you know the POV style uh, horror of the last decade and that so mm-hmm. um, the fact that he kind of he still manages to use traditional film in a in a POV manner in some instances is you very know, much so yeah mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, he, he's found very creative ways to create that POV setting. Even in Insidious, he does that with the um, with the one ghost hunter with the lens. Where he's doing the different colored lenses. Yes. And all of a sudden, sure. you see the two, that, that fast-smiling pair of twins, which is just, again, creepy as hell. <laughs> yeah. even um, in the way even the way he follows like rose burn around in that and those is mm-hmm. scenes like the one shot in daylight and that chasing yeah. the kid through the house mm-hmm. yeah you're just like yeah yeah it's, his technique is yeah sorry yeah no no, no. continue yeah. please no no it's just yeah he's so careful with uh, with the shots and the the color and transitions and everything like yeah he's just he's just a very mindful director i mean this sort of connects to some of the other movies we'll be talking about but uh, I guess the one thing that really stood out for me as well, I mean, with all of his movies in particular, but I do feel that he is largely responsible for this horror movie renaissance that we're in now is because mm-hmm. these are really seriously shot movies. Like, unfortunately, horror has this reputation for being cheap, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't get that with Juan's films. Like, they're they're shot beautifully. Um and um and yeah sometimes the color palettes are off but they're off for a reason you know like he doesn't do it jaws to like make it like you know like a lot of horror movies do grimy or blue mm-hmm. you know like he applies the colors in a very specific way and they invoke things and uh yeah it's just it's fantastic yeah. well that's just it like he makes such an excellent use of stuff like that like you said but with uh, with blue which is sort of a stereotypical mm-hmm. horror movie he does that but only when they're in the ghost realm and it's because he's carrying yeah. pale blue lantern yeah. So he he, he not, gives nods to those tropes. Yeah. But he leans into them in a way where it's like, I'm doing this, but I'm doing this because there's a reason. There's a, there's reason, a reason why it's shot yeah. like this, not just it's creepy and I'm going to do that. It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he's very good at creating this bizarre sense of otherness to things, where mm-hmm. like you know if something is a certain color, it's because there's a reason, not just because it's creepy. Mm-hmm. It is, but he does it intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Hmm. So yeah, that's uh, that's my first pick on this list, and it's uh, again, it makes me very, very happy. <laughs> and moving along the list, I'm then going to move to you. 2012's "The Woman in Black," right? Um, which was uh, underneath the the Hammer Horror banner when it had its very, very brief resurgence, mm. uh, which unfortunately did not last actually past this movie, but that in of itself made me very happy. I'm like hammers doing movies again. That's amazing. And with this movie, especially mm-hmm. uh, released January 22nd, 2012 uh, directed by James Watkins, written by Jane Goldman uh, based on a book by Susan Hill starring Daniel Radcliffe, Liz white and Kieran Hines. God damn. I love this movie too. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm going to say that for everything on this list. That's of why course, I put them on this list. I'm not going to be like, this movie is trash, but I put it on my list. Yeah. <laughs> no, this one, uh, I mean, this one has a very special connection uh, as we spoke about. Cause I mean, I remember dragging Eric and a few other people to see this movie Yes. Uh, because I, I knew what it was about and they had no real idea other than it was starring Daniel Radcliffe. And I was like, it's Harry Potter. How scary can it be? <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, again, it's, um, 
a phenomenal uh, ghost story of the of the haunted house variety. Mm-hmm. British. Uh, very British. Very, very British. The sort of the the lone the lonely manor out in the middle of a swamp. Yep. It may or may not be haunted. Uh, and the, no, they're all haunted. I mean, I think they're always haunted. Of course, I mean, they are. If it's an abandoned haunted. manor house in England, it's fucking haunted. That's just yeah. that's how that works. Yeah. Like, I'd be more surprised <laughs> if it's not haunted. If it's in England, that's just a thing. <laughs> Don't know why. <laughs> yeah. No. I. Uh, this was the other film I was thinking of when I was talking about the cinematography. I, you know, the funny thing with this movie is I did actually see it, but I almost didn't because I kind of was like, ah, it looks a little bit too shiny in the trailers. And it's like, ah, Daniel Radcliffe, you know, but you know, this was the first movie he did after Harry Potter, you know, and of yeah. course ever since then, you know, he did the stage show and he was doing things that like prove that he had more to him than Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I will say he looks awfully young, but as I watched the film, I feel, you know what? No, parents were actually that old, you know, like everything fits. Like as the movie progresses, you're just like, yeah, you know what? No, this, this actually does make sense. And his ability to carry across as a parent really uplifts him as an actor. You you believe that very quickly. Um, But yeah, I guess the, what I remember saying last week is that, yeah, it just, this is a great film in terms of like your classic British, is it Victorian or Edwardian? I don't, I want to say Victorian era in that because this mm-hmm. it seems like kind of more around the turn of the century than anything yeah. else. So yeah, yeah, I would put it under Victorian there era. Wasn't, uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot of amenities. I mean, they had trains. That was about. That was really the only method yeah. of transport you really see. So they, I'm assuming it, they had telephones. Did they? I I'm trying to remember if they did or I don't know. they're still using Morse. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, know. well, period piece anyway. You know, which yeah. you know. Oh, for sure. Which comes with its own sort of like, you know, baggage if you don't do it right. But of course, you know, British films always do it right. And so they, they yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting because of that setting. Uh, but that, that also brings the whole haunted house manor thing. I mean, nobody does that better than, you know, British haunted house manners, right? Exactly. So, uh, yeah. And uh, sorry to bring it back to what I was actually trying to say, uh, like the, uh, like the other movie, like Insidious, this is just shot extremely well, you know, like it's shot very serious, uh, lots of great, shots of just the house you know because the houses they're the haunted houses are all characters in and of themselves you know so yeah so this is this, yeah. this surprised me this movie and i remember when i talked about this this was the movie that i classified as the progenitor to the hiding things in plain sight oh, style sure. of horror which has become very very prevalent and i'm a big fan of personally it's the <laughs> where you have a, a ghost or whatnot that's in the shot the entire time but it's just slightly out of focus and it's hidden in the background and you don't necessarily know it's there until it moves. And then all yeah. of a sudden you're like, oh shit. And then you realize it's been there the whole time. Yeah. But not necessarily there for a jump scare. It's just there to point out the fact that this thing that to create that sense of unease, because you're like that thing was hiding in the shot the entire time. And I didn't know it was there, which then makes you second guess everything you yes. see in the movie. Cause you're constantly looking around. This was um, uh, the haunting of Hill house and the haunting of blind manor did, did this very, very well. Mm. Uh, later on those net that netflix series the haunting of series does this excruciatingly well uh hiding ghosts in plain sight <laughs> it's weird this wasn't my exactly my favorite movie in that you know i know you like that you know you uh 
Eric and everybody, I know you guys saw this together and that's so yeah. you have a really fond memory attached to it and that. And it's weird because it just didn't hit for me in that, even though like pretty much everything in it was perfectly done. Um, not just cinematography wise, set decoration was super important yeah, to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were, they really did pull it off in that. Um, and uh, this was in the lost recording and that's, so, uh, but I, I think it needs, you know, to be said again, and that I think Victorian era toy makers really hated children. <laughs> Absolutely. They were some exquisitely designed pieces in that, but they were max, they were designed for maximum like eeriness. And I remember my response to that. I think Victoria era, era of Britain just hated children yeah. just generally. Like they were just accessories until they were adults. They never worked hard enough. enough in the mines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, no, there's definitely, it's it's a thing at the time where it's, I mean, there's a reason why old toys creep us out. It's because they, they just do not look pleasant. They don't look like happy things that, you know, happy people will have. Yeah. But this is a, this is a very serious present I'm going to give you. Now go play with this and be serious while you do it. That's, that's the vibe I get from looking at old toys like that. I'm like, this is not a happy go lucky thing. This is like, you will look, take care of this and give it to your children. Damn it. Oh, no, they're all, they all kind of look like, you know, some sort of totem of death, you know, or to commemorate <laughs> you lost or a child lost. Well, I mean, in that era, that basically it was. I'm like, Hey, if you make it past five, you've won. Yeah. 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 You've, that's an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But again, this is, I, and I, and Hawk, I can agree with you on that. This is one of those, I like this movie. I like this movie because I, because I do have fond memories of it. Also, this is one of those, this is a comfort horror film for me because it's by the numbers. Like this is, there's no big shock in this. It's one of those once, if you've watched a lot of horror movies, especially a lot of haunted house, like ghost movies, you can kind of see the progression of this story. And once you sure. get about halfway through, you know how it's going to end. It's just a matter right. of how it gets to that ending, which yeah. for me, I actually, I don't mind that. Cause that means I don't have to try to think and focus on the story. I can sit back and just take in mm-hmm. the visuals. And by the time you get to that halfway point where those that like me will pick a movie apart once I'm like, okay, I know where you're going once they get to that moment, the visuals open up so much that you can actually enjoy all the little intricate bits and pieces and details they throw into things. Sure. Yeah. So that that's part of why I love this is that I don't have to, I don't necessarily love the story. I like the story. I think it's a cool story. I personally think that the, the stage version of this show of, of mm-hmm. the story far superior than the move than either of this or the BBC version of it that was done back in the eighties, I believe. Yeah. It's 89. Yeah. Yeah. The, both those movies are great. The stage version of this show, I love to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, it was so weird to me to find out that this was first uh, a, a stage drama. And that, uh, there's a, there's a, there's lengthy bits where there's absolutely no dialogue. The, well, the, the actual story, the Susan Hill story deviates slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, the stage version of this show is actually a is is still I believe to date the longest running West End show ever. Wow! Because it ran it ran from the eighties through until I believe two or three years ago. Wow! Jeez! Um, and it was one of those shows where it, it had the Hitchcockian disclaimer of once you've seen the show, do not tell people what happens in it. Right? Because you'll spoil the surprise. And the thing ran for like almost I believe almost twenty years. Mm. Like 20, almost 30 years. And people will still go see it. Um, the amount of stage trickery that is done to make this show effective is mind-boggling. I have a copy of the script. I've read it. 
Hmm. Reading the script, I'm like, I have no idea. And with the script, the, it, the script's about that thick. Half of it is just, here's how you do every single effect in the show to make it work. Hmm. Like, and to do what needs to get done. And just reading that, I'm like, this, sh- I would never be able to pull this off in any theater that I know of. Yeah. But it's all so simple, but it's so simple and done so effectively. Yeah, it's very that thoughtful. It would just be so, com- I would love to see the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kicking myself because I could have, because the uh, Theater Aquarius did it years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think it was the, I think it was the year that that Theater Aquarius opened at the theater that it's in. They did that as their Halloween show. Really? And I was in the space and I saw the setup for it and was like, and I never had no comprehension for what it was, so it meant nothing right. to me. Right. Um, but they, uh, I know the stage, at least the Aquarius version of the stage show, which I know I'm getting off topic, but I don't care because I think this is cool. Yeah, yeah um, go on. I can't remember the name of the effect. And I'm sure one of you will. It's the same effect they use in Disney World for the Haunted Mansion. Oh, like the, where they project onto the glass? Yes. Yeah. Uh, your Aquarius had that whole setup. Nice. On its stage for the woman in black. Sure, sure. So they could do that spectral projection. I can't remember the name of the effect. It's driving me nuts. Yeah. I still remember it being in the little cart going around the balcony <laughs> and that and watching all the people dancing together as yeah. they kind of drift in and out of reality. Yeah, that's, that's the effect that's Crazy. the one that they used. Um, again, the state, again, this is one of those movies. I love it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a very cool, like the story has a very cool history, which I enjoy. Right. Um, yeah. Like I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't add this last time, but I actually a, a little bit also kind of like with Hawk, like this is not a movie I would have thought of off our list and I'm glad you included it. And you know, usually, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I'd probably fight everybody on every movie, but I understand why all the movies were chosen for this list. And even though they're not ones that I necessarily would go and rewatch, I do think they're all worth seeing. Uh, and I understand why they are beloved. I had no idea you knew this so much more about this, uh, this yeah. uh, uh, thing though. I didn't know it was a stage play and that's actually very interesting. Um, yeah. It's yeah. been one of those, it's one of those plays that's been on my list for a very long time, either to direct or be in. I would honestly mm. be happy with either. Mm. Um, but it would, it's, I'm not, I, I wouldn't know a position to direct this anytime soon. I don't have the theater capacity to do that, but damn it. I will do it at some point in time. Yeah, keep it, keep it there, you know, like in yeah. mind. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, the Victorian or British ghost story is, is a whole subgenre in and of itself. And it, it's been kind of like every once in a while, it comes back with new special effects and new takes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very good standard, a modern standard version of that um and uh i think for me it's one like it's it's the subgenre that i don't necessarily go out of my way to pursue just like some people don't like found footage whatever you know like i enjoy those movies for what they are but uh but yeah this i mean other than the others i can't think of another one that really stands out though from the most recent um oh the uh, the, yeah the others this one and the others are the two that like the two great like i mean there's the haunting uh, of hill house and the haunting of blind manor both of blind manor more than hill house but blind those two very much like the haunted house the ghost stories that actually are effective ghost stories there's been a lot of haunted house stories not all of them have been yeah as they say a lot of them haven't even been decent but yeah but i mean like more heavily period driven right Mm -hmm. um i feel like yeah, I feel like the woman in black and um, the others is is more driven by the period than uh, exactly. the haunting. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, no. It's a, it's a good movie, and I do think if you haven't seen it, 
or you wrote it off because it was you know young Daniel Radcliffe, you should definitely give this one a chance because it's a good movie for him. It's a good movie overall, and uh, it's a good uh, British ghost story. Absolutely. He's become a very like he's a solid, dependable actor, and that uh, I think this is probably one of one of the jewels of his his career. In that, um, yeah, he pulled he you know he's so young, but he did physically pull off that that kind of persona of this of this guy who was kind of spiritually and emotionally exhausted, and that and it's just put into the situation where you know it's testing every last you know straw on his back. Um, one of the finest performances I ever saw him in was, uh, did you guys manage to catch that movie Imperium? He played an, an FBI agent, had to under, go undercover as a white supremacist. Yeah, I haven't, I've seen clips from it. I haven't seen the whole thing, but I have seen clips, yes. Uh, he was excellent. Uh, yeah. yeah. I didn't even know about yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah it's, it, well, I mean, Radcliffe has been, I think, very actively trying to kind of go against the the Harry Potter curse. Yeah, yeah. Everything he picks because every, he's so iconically identified with that. That, I mean, that's why he did something like the, this is one of his first films. He did the Equus, the stage play. Like he really right. is trying to go against the, you know, you're a wizard, Harry. He's like, yes, but I'm also an actor <laughs> that wants to, you know, show that I'm not just a one hit trick. And I mean, he's great in everything he does. Yeah. It's going to take him a little while. I mean, he's picked good projects. He's shown that he can, yeah. he can do it. Uh, but it's just, yeah, he, his face is a little bit too uh, yeah. recognizable. Still, he's well, got he also, I think he's in the same situation as like an Emma Watson, where it's the people are like, why aren't they doing more? It's like because they don't have to. Like realistically, yeah, Daniel Radcliffe doesn't have to make a single film for the rest of his life, and he's going to be fine. Oh, now he's actually done he can make, probably more than yeah. most of those guys. Right? Yeah, sorry, he can sorry. make any movie he wants now on that. He can yeah. do anything weird in that. Guns yeah. Akimbo? Like Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or uh, Swiss Army Man, like still like those. Like he can take on like these silly projects. He can take on projects that he wants to do as opposed yeah. to what they, he he can be a working actor because he wants to, not because it's his income, because he's yeah. made money already. He's kind of in the same I put him in the same categories like a Daniel Day Lewis. Not talent wise, but just with the, he's done so much and he's made, he's done what makes him happy and he doesn't have to do anything else unless he wants to do it. Yeah. Yeah. He can pick, he can pick the projects and he has, Absolutely. I mean, obviously he's been having fun with every single thing he's done. So sure. Exactly. Financially. Great. I think he's done a little better than Daniel Day-Lewis. I get the comparison. Well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis will always be Daniel Day-Lewis, but he's also yeah. got a lot more years on Daniel Radcliffe at this point in time. So and also, I mean, come on. Who, I, can't, I can't get mad at Daniel Day-Lewis. He's a cobbler when he's not acting, for God's sakes. Like, I'm going to fix shoes when I'm not playing Lincoln. Like, okay, <laughs> sure. I didn't, I didn't know that factoid about him. That's, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, he just has a, has a day-to-day job, and he picks movies that, he, that interest him. Right. And he goes and shoots and then goes back, goes back home, and he's a cobbler. It's amazing. Nice. Nice. Like bless his heart. Like I can't even. I, I give him full respect for having the talent that he has, and saying like I want to do an honest trade when I'm not making movies. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, that's not uncommon with a lot of kind of <laughs> British celebrities. And I remember watching this Gordon Ramsay uh, cooking show once, and that and the guitarist from Blur was on there, and he was telling kind of about his day, and that he lives out in the country with his family, and that and they all they do really is spend most of the day just thinking about you know preparing food because they kind of live pretty rustically, you know, yeah. just because mm-hmm. you know they don't have to live in the city, and that they just live out in the country. <laughs> they can enjoy the peace and quiet in a creepy yeah. old haunted manor. 
He taught he taught he taught Ramsey how to make a, some sort of roast uh, wrapped in hay. Really? Okay. Yeah. It adds some sort of smoky flavor to it. Yeah, I of mean, course. If it's hay, yeah, very likely, yeah. Neat. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, so um, yeah, that was our take on the woman in black. Now, moving on, I'm going to take us back in time a little bit uh, to 2009's Trick or Treat. Uh, yes. Yeah. This is one of my absolute favorite anthology horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... And I mean, it has a bit of a storied history, so I'll kind of cover that a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It was finally released October 6th, 2009. Uh, it had actually premiered uh, in 2007 at the South by Southwest Festival. Right. And it kind of just fallen into, I don't even say development hell, it was more of a limbo because it was a movie that was insanely popular, but no one picked it up. Oh, I thought someone picked it up and just held it for two years. No, it was okay. around and then it was finally picked up in 2009. I think a company had picked it up and then that company either folded or just decided they weren't going to release it. It's weird. Some of these horror movies, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll premiere at a uh, festival and for whatever reason, you know, they'll just sit on it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was written and directed by Michael Doherty, uh, starring Dylan Baker. Yes. Dylan Baker, Anna Paquin, Brian Cox and Quinn Lord. <laughs> um, and again this was again it's a beautifully crafted anthology film that has I mean when it was released it did okay in theaters uh, has amassed an insane cult following since its release yeah deservedly um, so Sam has become possibly one of the most iconic horror figures of recent time mm-hmm. um, which is again amazing given the fact that I mean, the movie had such struggle to get released and has had, there's been no sequels. There's been no redos. One film made this little burlap sack wearing onesie wearing kid, a a horror icon and uh, exactly deservedly. So Um, this is a great, this is again, what I love about it. This is how you do an anthology movie properly. In my opinion, in the modern era, definitely. Absolutely. You have a big overarching wraparound story. All the stories interconnect and cross each other. You actually see Mm. characters crossing each other in all their paths throughout the entire movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I love, you have the opening sequences again, really beautifully shot. And then when you get to the end of the movie and you see that same sequence again from a different angle, you actually have the context for all those people crossing their paths. And it's exactly so well put together. I mean, Anna Paquin, this was, she did this right before uh, true blood came out. So this kind of brought her back into the mainstream after, after the X-Men franchise uh, with a different, really? that was the last thing she did with X-Men. Before, I mean, she really didn't do anything after that. That's true, but I yeah. hadn't really made that timeline. Yeah, yeah that's true. The X-Men movies. And then she did this and then went on to do true blood. True and love, that was love. kind of what put her, as a household name for a very long time. But yeah, this Mm. was sort of her transition away from awkward teenager into late teen, early 20. We've now seen more of you than we ever thought we would. Anna Paquin. (laughs) (laughs) But it was her husband. Yeah. What a weird career she's had. I mean, like supporting best supporting actress when she was what, nine or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she's, I mean, she's, again, she's had a career where she's been able to be, to be blessed, to be able to pick the projects she wants to do and have fun doing them, uh, which is yeah. great for me. This is again, uh, some of Brian Cox's best work and I love him and everything he's in. 
as old man Krieg in this movie. He's just phenomenal. Uh, and this is one of those movies. I mean, this is a movie that I love so much. I actually bought the graphic novel when they released it. Yeah. Um, cause I like, I loved it and I'd be like, Oh my God, they did a graphic novel. And it's the, the way, like the little comic pages you see in the movie, the whole book is drawn like that. Oh, nice. Nice. So it was, yeah, it was a great a companion piece to that film. So it, it, it really was a beautiful throwback to creep show for me. Sure. Sure. Yeah. The way that they, with the way that they did uh, creep show had been done the movie where it's like, you have the comic book pages and then the live action, same vibe I got in this movie. It's again, a phenomenal one. Yeah, I always felt that the, the movie was a, a wonderful homage to Creepshow, but it is, mm-hmm. in a way, uh, I would say it's almost better. I mean, I don't want to besmirch Creepshow. Creepshow is fantastic, okay? But but this this almost feels like it elevates what Creepshow was sort of kind of playing around yeah. with. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think I, as much as people use, like, you know, it's the this movie of that generation, mm-hmm. Trick or Treat is the Creepshow of the 2000s. Yeah. Because it takes the same concept and just elevates it using modern techniques. Mm-hmm. But the two movies side by side, they're both great for very similar reasons. Yeah. Uh, Trick or Treat just gives it a contemporary spin. And I love that they did that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. also has, again, one of the coolest werewolf transformation sequences. True. Yes. That's well, that's a thing. Like, I think every werewolf fan has got to like always t- take their time and think about, okay, was the transformation good? You know, like with every source yeah. and that is a big part of it. And yeah, no, they, for a film, that's not actually completely about werewolves has a yeah. werewolf story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That is definitely one of the best transformations for sure. Yeah. No, it was really well. I mean, again, this movie was just so brilliantly shot. Like the way that the shots were set up, it did, it gave it a very comic book vibe, even in live action sequences, but not in a way that was cartoony. Mm-hmm. Like there was just enough bizarre surreal that you could see this being a comic book. And I did cause I bought it as a comic book. Yeah. Um, but it was, so, it was just so well crafted. And some of the imagery on it was phenomenal. Yeah. Well, they really took on a big task in that because they really wanted to explore Halloween itself and that through like lores and through ghost stories that people tell and that yeah. and kind of, mm-hmm. I guess bring it into a modern setting and that, but they really pulled, I think they really pulled it off brilliantly. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, the the sequence with Brian Cox and and and, and Sam is is probably still the highlight of the film for me. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I love anthologies. Uh, I think I probably went on and on about it uh, last time uh, in the the lost lost recording. Lost but recording. That, but then I went on about it for the whole week in between. So I mean, these guys are sick of it by now. But uh, no. this is a. Uh, I, I, yeah, anthologies I find are, are interesting uh, phenomenon in horror uh, because uh, in pursuing them, I've discovered so many. I mean, they've been making them like for so long and, and they're great because you get to see this one actor, this huge actor sometimes in this very weird bit part and they're just mm-hmm. having a great time. And, uh, and yeah, if you don't like a story, you can just kind of like wait a few minutes and you get onto the next one. But every single story in this movie, especially the way it all ties together, it's all happening on the same night, you know, and uh, there's just all these intertwined, you know, connections. It, it really is a brilliant anthology movie. So if you've yeah. never actually seen a horror anthology or you don't really think much of the format, uh, this is definitely the premier uh, modern uh, anthology. And uh, yeah, I would say of the, the movies you suggested uh, first, Matt, this is my favorite uh, by far. Yeah, uh, if you can't tell. Uh, yeah. I definitely recommend this one all around. 
Yeah, like again, for me, like I said, uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of anthology films, horror anthologies especially, because again, it's you can get a little bit of everything mm-hmm. under one genre banner. But again, it's like if you don't like what you're watching, wait 10, 15 minutes. It'll probably be a different story. And then yeah. again, like you can kind of be like, ah, I didn't like that one, but these were great. I, when it comes to horror, sometimes that's the best way you can serve it for people is you don't have to make them sit through two hours or something when you can make them sit through two hours but there's eight different stories in there. Yeah. Well, sometimes the short, the short stories are, are just as terrifying and, uh, and yeah, you don't need to prolong it, you know? And yeah, it's, it's a real balancing act, you know, and, and this movie, uh, especially the way it ties it all together. That's, that's the part that amazes me um, yes. because yeah, I love anthology movies, but most of them, they, they, they really are just kind of disconnected. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, that's fine. But, uh, but it's brilliant the way this guy like knit it all together yeah. so nicely. You yeah, could tell I, the the thought that he put into the story yes. when he was writing it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I forgot to mention this is truly a movie that was crafted with love, um, and uh, I'm sure he spent a lot of time, you know, working on it and thinking it through. And and this this film should be part of everybody's uh, Halloween, uh, whatever you call it, playlist. Um, Absolutely. Like again, it's this is this one, and I I told this story. And I'll tell it again. This one is very, it's unique because um, when uh, when I got married, my wife and I we went to Florida for our honeymoon, and we wanted to do the Disney Universal thing, and because I wanted to go to uh, Halloween Horror Nights, because I'd never been, mm-hmm. and Trick or Treat was one of the themed haunted houses they were doing that year. Uh, so we actually sat down and watched the movie because she'd never seen it, or I think she'd seen it, but it had been years. So we're like, well, we'll sit down and watch it because it'll be kind of cool. We'll watch all the movies that it's themed on, but this one specifically. Uh, and it's kind of become our anniversary movie because <laughs> it's, you know, because we watch it again, watching it in time for the original recording of this episode, which had been overlapping our anniversary. I'm like, oh, it's our anniversary movie. And she's like, wow, what does that say about us? It says, and I said, it says that you made your choice and there's no Tasty's Baxies on that. Uh, but yeah, like this one again, it's um, it, it's a movie that people either love or or are like meh about. No, I've never heard people that like that movie was trash. I hate it. People are either like I love that movie or they just don't have any strong feelings on it. Sure. I'm okay with that for as a sure. as a movie review, not having strong feelings about it. I'm okay about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's nothing that this movie does wrong. So it's just whether it's your taste or not, you know, exactly. kind of thing or not. <laughs> yeah. 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 One of the things I think you have to watch out in the anthology series is the way, like giving 20 minutes to kind of introduce a character, develop them, and then, you sure. know, kind of explore a story within that. Um, yeah. I think sometimes until some, some series work better than others. Like, yeah. you know, when going back to Creepshow, the one that always stands out for me is the Leslie Nielsen and the Ted Danson <laughs> one. 100%. Yes. I think it establishes characters pretty quickly and then yep. moves into the horrific events yeah. and that, uh, for me, that was probably uh, Dylan Baker's character. Uh, Absolutely. it had a very similar vibe to that story. Mm-hmm. And, and they did such a great twist on that as well too, with the, the principal Wilkins. Yeah. Cause you assume, you assume it's a, and then all of a sudden it's B and I love, right. I love that. I love, and they were able to do that in such a short period of time to give you that twist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to give you that same twist later on where you're like, there's an, even an extra layer to that character where I'm like, Oh, I did not even see that coming. <laughs> it was, it was so, again, it was the thought they put into it and the way they crafted it. That was so well done. Yeah. That it's, yeah, it's just, it was brilliant. I loved it. Um, and now we're going to segue into the last movie I had on my list, um, which is going way, way back. 
Uh, and this one, again, is one of what I like to call one of my guilty pleasure horror films. Yeah. It's 1985's Silver Bullet, a.k.a. Stephen King's Silver Bullet. <laughs> Released October 11th, 1985, directed by Dan Atkin, written by Stephen King, one of the rare instances where he actually wrote the screenplay for a film that uh, on his work. Mm. It stars Corey Haim, Everett McGill, Megan Follows, and Gary Goddamn Busey. Busey. What a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, again, this is 1985 Gary Busey. So, whoo. Yep. It you was. The whole package. Th- this movie is such glorious 1985 camp. Yeah. Um, but in the best way, because the movie does not really take itself seriously, yet it's still able to create serious moments. Sure, yes. Um, I mean, this is also a movie that there is no universe which they could make now. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, just because of all the, the things that are said and the way things are, are dealt with, because it is very it is a very, very yeah. 80s movie. Yeah. And there's the best yeah. way I can describe it is it is an 80s movie. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. It's true. I, I, I'm thinking the character of the alcoholic uncle. Yeah. <laughs> basically, perfect casting. Gary Busey yes. playing Gary Busey. Yep. Except that's not. It's actually an uncle. His piss uncle on Ray the Yankees. Burns. Piss on the Indians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but again, it's one of those movies that it's in, it is just enjoyable. And it's the most it's the silliest kind of enjoyable, but again, has one of the cool, uh, several of the coolest transformation sequences I've seen on film in a very long time. Yes. Speaking of werewolves. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the funeral sequence, mm-hmm. which I will say, which was so brilliantly shot for, especially for the eighties. Yeah. Like the effects in that film do hold up. Yeah. Uh, and they it's hold also, up in a very unnerving way. It's also brilliantly, uh, you know, written in that, and that the, it's the fact that it's it's our reveal to the to the actual werewolf, and we get that you know pretty much yeah. with like a, the in going into the second act, I would say yeah, it's quite yeah. late. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's so, uh, the first. Yeah, the first act is very much there's this these killings happening. The second act, it's revealed that it is a werewolf, and then you find out who that werewolf is, mm-hmm. and then the entire third act is how are they going to deal with that? And again, it's the the fact that the main protagonist uh, is uh, Marty, who's played by Corey Haim, is a kid that is in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. um, which makes it gives you that extra level of, you know, oh, no, because, I mean, again, he's a kid. He doesn't have the use of his legs and he's going to try to fight a werewolf. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Then, not just being a kid, but also being you know handicapped at the same time. Yeah. And that, you know, it, it's just added layer of tension and that. And they, they really do work it. Very much so, yeah. They, and it's played beautifully. And again, he does a phenomenal job of portraying that, especially given the fact that he was very much not handicapped and he had full use of his legs, which again, you could not get away with in 2020 now. Mm-hmm. No. Um, I love the fact that Stephen King chose to adapt this because it was based originally on his, and I'm using quotation fingers here, novella, uh, <laughs> Cycle of the Werewolf, which was originally intended to be a calendar. Uh, when oh. he first, when he first released, but his first initial plan was it was uh, to be a twelve-month calendar, and each month would be a different chapter. Oh, that's very. Interesting uh, and then idea. he kind of he kind of scrapped that and turned it into the novella, which is why if you ever can get the novella, there's actually pictures included with it because it has the the picture of each month. Oh, nice. That he intended for it to be the that that was his original concept with it. Wow, um, well, that's really cool. 
which again, I had mentioned, it was the one real qualm I have with the movie that I had mentioned when we talked about it last time. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, is that the way that time passes in this movie is very yeah. deceptive. Yeah. It doesn't feel like the, time. the movie actually takes place over about a six to eight month, eight month period. Mm-hmm. But they give you no indication of that in the movie, unless you're paying very close attention to dialogue. They talk about how time has passed. Yeah, this, they didn't. They didn't use enough establishing shot, establishing shots for things like that. It it, yeah. it, it did kind of like really move. Yeah, yeah. But it's also a testament to like the the pacing of the movie is fantastic. It feels like it's a very fast paced movie mm-hmm. until you realize, oh wait, this all happened over several months. That's that's odd. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it's a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were talking about Stephen King uh, before the show, and I was saying like it's it's amazing to me how much of Stephen King stuff was adapted. I mean, everyone knows Stephen King this, Stephen King that, right? And he's very ta- multi talented, and a lot of classics have come from his stuff, but not all of it was good. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was adapted, and I'm I'm just always amazed like right. at just the variation in quality. And I noticed that in the '80s, especially these Stephen King adaptions, I don't know what was going on, whether it was a fire sale in Stephen King or what. So every Everyone was making Stephen King. The I actually the have an of, answer to that question for you. Oh, really? Okay. I have an answer to that. Well, I was just gonna, I was just going to say like you, you you could never really know whether it was going to turn out because most of the Stephen King movies are a little wacky, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that's just due to the times or the people were like, ah, how do you adapt this, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of those movies where it actually just kind of just works. I mean, there's some details in it, really crazy, but you know, within the context of just within this film. It, it just works and it just skirts by. So yeah, he's it's a fun such movie. A, he's such a bizarre kind of, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not saying not bizarre in his art and that, but the way he's connected with his audience and that there are people from all walks of life who love Stephen King and that, you know, he, he doesn't appeal to just like one genre of people in that. Mm-hmm. Um, the only comparison I can make to his popularity as a writer is probably to like Steven Spielberg as a director. Yeah. You know, That's there's true. something he just he just taps into some sort of like you know, subconscious, some mainstream consciousness, and that. I, you know what I think with Stephen King? I think it's because if you look at almost all his books, they all, and he's notorious for especially with them being very main centric. He has this sort of the way that he writes. It's he writes as a he has a very everyman voice when he writes, mm-hmm. where he he doesn't write as a, I'm going to give you all this flowery language and this, you know, intricate description. He writes the way people talk, like just the way, even the way he, um, he describes things in his narration when he's writing things. It's just a very, I don't like saying common because it's not right, but it's a very, it's an everyman speak. Very accessible. Yeah, exactly. It's like when he describes the thing, you can picture exactly what that thing looks like. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's great at using that language to give you like a perfect description of something, which to me, I think is also why a lot of his stories have not been able to be adapted properly mm. is because he's so great at describing a thing in just the right way. Right. That if you can't then represent that on screen, yeah, it will fail instantly. Interesting. Because he will give you this perfect image of what a thing should look like. And if right. you can't recreate that, everyone goes, ah, that wasn't good. It wasn't right. Um, which is also why some of the most successful movies that he uh, adaptations of his work have been when he's adapting his own work. Sure. Sure. Cause he's yeah, able to kind of pull back and be like, like when he, like with this movie, for example, like it's a great adaptation of a Stephen King story because he adapted it. Yeah. 
Uh, um, sorry. Every time you talk about him being involved, I just think of maximum overdrive and I just start snickering. But exactly. But like, that's okay. let's talk about a re- there's talk about a reboot of that. That was actually they, no, unless he directs it again. I'm not interested. <laughs> I do not care. I mean, they did do a reboot uh, made for TV called uh, based on the short story called Trucks, which was like closer yeah. to the short story. It wasn't nearly as entertaining as maximum overdrive was. We made you. We made you. Honey bear, this machine just called me an asshole. Like, <laughs> that's the greatest line that he wrote for himself. Yeah. Like, I can't even be mad at that. Like, bless your heart, Stephen King. You you dorky little individual, you. And I love, he is, again, he's a great, he's a very prolific writer. Um, his writing has always been more, more hit than miss. His adaptations, and actually, Steve, let's bring it back. Yes. There is a reason why his work has been adapted so heavily is that in the, I believe it was the eighties or nineties. I can't remember exactly when I'll have to look it up. Uh, He instituted on his work, what he referred to as his dollar baby program. Okay. Which is every one of his stories that has not already been turned into a film. Mm -hmm. Most up and coming filmmakers, not established, but up and coming were able to purchase the rights to his, to any of his stories for $1. Wow. Uh, now, what was his reasoning behind that? Like he, he wanted, just he, wa- he wanted to see what people would do with his work because he he got very annoyed with what a lot of the studios had done and kind of butchered. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to give this to film like up and coming fil- unestablished filmmakers. I'm going to give you my material. Do what you will with it. His only contingency behind it was that they had to they they had to give him a copy of it he has so he has an entire archive of all these dollar baby films that that were ever created and that if that film was ever optioned he yeah. would get a producer credit so that he that, that would be how they would pay him back as he would be an executive producer okay oh, are there amazing. some that never made it then Oh, there's tons. There's tons of short stories and films that have never been made but that's why no no they're... no what i mean that were made but then were not picked up that he has copies of that he's just gotten a huge i'm sure i'm sure there is i'm sure there's tons uh but like you can i can't remember there's a master list i think it might even be on his website there's a master list of, of what dollar babies are still available because as things get picked up by studios he yeah. takes them off the list yeah he's like yeah. he's like i don't want anyone to get in trouble with rights because they that studio owns the rights to that story so you can't do that but here's hmm. these. and he's always headed that way he's like he's like i would rather people take my short stories and adapt them and make them their own thing and make them great and have someone use that than to have a studio pick it up and try to make it marketable and ruin it. Like they have so many times. That's I'm fascinating. If somebody, I'm wondering if somebody ever made an adaptation of the jaunt. Yes, there are three that have been made. Oh my really? God. Two of which are available on YouTube. Hmm. I have to go looking for them a lot of time. A lot of times it's hard to find the stuff because he got a little, he kind of pulled the program back for a bit because people were putting it on YouTube. He's like, that wasn't the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make it, but I had to get a copy and you could shop it around, but you can't just post it for everyone to see. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually he's like, eh, there's no way I'm going to be able to stop that. So he just, he, that's, I think when he addended the deal to, I have to get an executive producer credit if it gets picked up. Right. Right. Uh, no, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, what what were the movies that soured him so much uh, that he decided? Um, to I'm trying to. Uh, it was their adaptation of the Tommy Knockers. He hated that. Okay. Uh, it was when ABC did the Tommy Knockers. There was a few others. It had to, have, but it had to have begun with The Shining. 
Yeah, the shining the shining was a huge one the shining was the he, he well he and kubrick hated each other and that yeah, wasn't yeah it's not even uncommon knowledge he hated what kubrick did with that um it was it's on the tip of my tongue now oh i'm trying to think back um well while you're thinking salem's about it, that, lot salem's lot okay. salem's lot that far back really that that's where it started that's where it's, that's where it started for him it, it started to aggravate him that's why a lot of times you'll see uh, like with something like maximum overdrive or with um, like uh, silver bullet. If he's involved, he's, he's like, well, if I'm in, if he's involved, he doesn't care. It's fine. Yeah. It is what it is. And people will love it or hate it. It was the stuff that people would just license and then make, and then he would have no involvement. Yeah. In. It's not really, or he's like, yeah. no, like you can't just, like, if you're going to, that was um, Muschietti with uh, it. That's why he was very adamant about having Stephen King in part two. Sure. He wanted to have his involvement so that he would get his blessing. Right. Right. Uh, Cause he didn't want, cause he knows that King was very personal about, especially his older work. He's like, I don't want to do this if he's not going to be involved in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why he brought him in to do that. And that's why they created that running joke of the, uh, you know, the endings, the endings crap, but the rest of it was great. Cause that was a comment that King got <laughs> so many times with so many of his books. Yeah. yeah. Like, I hated the ending, but the book's great, but I hate the ending. <laughs> so they, they wrote that line in there for him to be able to say so he could finally kind of say it to himself because he was always the the Bill Denborough character in that yeah yeah I kind of picked up on that yeah I, I mean I, I, I can't stop smiling because I keep thinking about like Maximum Overdrive if you guys have not seen the trailer for it you really need to uh, set some time and just look it up on YouTube because Stephen King himself advertises the fact that he uh, is you know, annoyed with uh, Hollywood adaptations. And, you know, he says like, you know, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And he is so, just so peculiar in that trailer. And it is so funny. So just, just check out Maximum yeah. Overdrive, the trailer. Okay. Just look for that. Yeah. So good. You will not regret it. Um, but again, the Silver Bullet is again, it's one of my favorite um, guilty pleasure movies because it is by no means high art in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. But again, and again, like not even just the characters I mentioned, but like you have like Lawrence Tierney is in the movie as the, as Lawrence Tierney as a bartender. Cause he only ever really played one character and that was just him in different scenarios. Yes. Uh, Everett McGill. I love that man, but he is just perpetually creepy. Yeah. He's so strange. Looking. Like even when he's the nice person ever, you're just like, I don't trust you. There's something sus about you. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's good. So weird considering like <laughs> the, the role he's probably most known for is Ed from uh, Twin exactly, Peaks. Uh, exactly. And that's yeah. the most normal character on the show. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I swear they cast him as Ed based solely off the fact that he'd done this movie. So people are going to automatically suspect him because I like, guess the guy from silver bullet, I don't trust him. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, well, he plays such a great character in it too in that you know especially like you know i think because you kind of see this deterioration in the guy mm -hmm. as these months kind of progressed in that by the mm -hmm. time like he actually met up with the kid on the bridge you know absolutely you could see it was just wearing him down yeah um yeah, I, something i i did mention last week too i did want to point out is uh with silver bullet too uh one of the reasons why they can't remake the movie now or at least it'd be tricky well, I guess they might. I mean, considering the new remakes more recently, they they really go places that you don't really think 
you know, like they would go right. Like yeah. they don't necessarily have to show much, but things that happen in the movie are actually quite shocking, you yes. know, for something that is a kind of a fun werewolf movie. It's mm-hmm. uh, it actually takes its, its concept quite seriously. And that's surprised me. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, and that's what kind of made it great was the fact that it, it, it goes in, in directions you don't assume. And then like, you know, it's, you're kind of putting the pieces together as the rest of the characters are. Mm-hmm. And once you put those pieces together, you're kind of just left going, Oh no. Which is great. Like again, it's I love the fact that the movie was able to surprise me. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a really again for basically like eighties campy schlocky horror. There's a lot of great about this movie, and it's again you can watch this movie and you know how it's going to play out. It, there's nothing. It, there's no new waters tread in this, but it's a movie that you can watch comfortably, being like, I'm going to be entertained by this. It's a gem. <laughs> I know. Absolutely. It had some some of the corniest jokes and they were still funny in that. Exactly. Know, this investigation has been going on about as smoothly as a submarine with screen doors. Oh yeah. It's just like, oh why are you so no one talks like that, but they do in this universe and damn <laughs> Yes. Oh yeah. No, it really is a time capsule that movie, but it, but it's an yes. interesting one. And uh I mean I mean come on, Gary Pusey, come on. <laughs> Gary Busey when he was just acting like he was whimsically insane as opposed to what he has now turned into. Yeah. 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 This Busey is when he was. Isms. Yeah. 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 This is still when it's entertaining and, and you don't really see the damage as much. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so that's pretty much the list that I'd put together. There's a couple honorable mentions I want to throw in there just because yes. we didn't have the space. Uh, we've already talked about uh, creep show. Mm which again is a phenomenal uh, collaboration film between Stephen King, George Romero. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting. I think who else was involved in that Spielberg, I think was involved. Uh, in that. Toby Hooper. Wasn't he in that too? I think yeah, Toby he was for involved. one of the stories. Yeah. 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 It's a beautiful collaborative film. Um, again, it's everything that's great about anthology films. Uh, the Leslie Nielsen, Ted Danson segment alone is worth the price of admission. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm trying to think what else I had. I, I, the name's escaping me. And we were just talking about it before we came back on the break as my phone won't unlock because it's too what, dark in my room. What, what ghost stories? Uh, 2017's ghost stories. All right. This is a movie that if you have not seen this movie, watch this movie. Um, it's a British film uh, written and directed by Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman, starring Andy Nyman, Paul Whitehouse, Alex Lothar, and Martin Freeman. Watch. I, I I can tell you nothing about this movie because if I told you anything, it would ruin the movie. Yeah, I never um, heard of this. I have to track it down. Yeah. It sounds amazing. It's it is still on Netflix right now, or at least Netflix in Canada. I'm assuming in the states as well for our American listeners. Uh, it runs 98 minutes. It does not feel like 98 minutes. Hmm. Hmm. Um, nice. like it is. It is a very short film. It's. It's going to sound weird the way I describe this. It's a very, it's a short film that feels like it runs way longer hmm. and not because of pacing. It's just, you get so invested in the stories that you're like, man, that was a great, like two and a half hour film. And you're like, that was 98 minutes. What, what? Uh, and it's great. It's, I love it for that reason. Um, those two, I highly, highly, highly recommend. Uh, again, I just didn't have time to add them to my list. Uh, I'll also throw a shout out to the VHS series. And yes. By the series, I mean VHS 1 and 2. Yes. Do not, if you have the chance, do not watch VHS Viral. I know it's the third movie in that. Do not watch it. It is yeah. not good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but VHS 1 and 2, phenomenal movies. 
watch those as well. Again, phenomenal anthology movies in the found footage style. Yeah. And I actually, I do want to comment on that. I mentioned this to someone else and they were like, Oh, found footage. Uh, and I was like, no, you know what? Yeah. Okay. There were some early films that took it and ran with it and everyone, you know, got sick of it right away. Uh, but there's a lot of potential to found footage and VHS two, especially really takes it uh, in directions and uses it really well. So I, I don't, don't not watch it because you think uh, found footage. Yeah. I, I will say hands down, um, found footage is horror is best suited for an anthology style. Yeah. Because it makes sense that you would have this small chunk of video mm-hmm. when you get, when you like, and I love, I love the paranormal activities and the Blair witches, all those kind of movies I love, but that's just cause I love that style, mm-hmm. but it's, it's very, it's hard to wrap your head around all like a hour and a half, two hour yes. footage movie. Yeah. Whereas when you're watching like these little chunks of video, it makes perfect sense. It's like watching VHS and VHS two, like any of the found footage anthology films, it's like falling down a YouTube rabbit hole. Sure. Yeah. You're just watching movies that are all stylistically similar or like thematically, but they're not really connected until they are. And that's what I love about those. And it makes sense because people do that all the time and they don't think anything of it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that for me, the, the VHS, the, the, sorry, the VHS series, Ghost Stories, Creep Show, all of them anthologies. Like I said, I'm a huge mark for horror anthologies, and I always will be. They're great additions. I just didn't have time to put them on the list because I didn't want to make the guys watch. Yeah. A whole, a whole plethora. I could have made this list like 20 films long and still been like, oh, but there's also this. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's four uh, very different but all noteworthy films. Uh, they're not ones, you know, I would necessarily, you know, recommend myself out of the gate, but now that you've brought them to my attention again, I'm like, you know what? I can't argue against any of these films. Like, I think all four of them are standouts in what they represent and they are worth seeing. So I I think you made a great list, uh, Matt, for Halloween. They're perfectly suited for Halloween. So get out there and watch them, people. And they're really suited for all year round, not just Halloween, but it just happens to be Halloween. So I got to, I convinced the guys like, no, no, we'll watch this. It'll be great. <laughs> um, so I'm going to put this out to the listeners. Uh, what movies do you think I should have had on my list? What movies do you, that I, did we not mention that you think I should watch? Please send it into the socials. I love people recommending me horror films because I'll either love those movies or I will chastise you openly about them. But either way, it's a good time. Uh, all of our social stuff is in the crawl. And other than that, uh, I want to apologize to Matt Damon. We completely ran out of time. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Matt. And I'm oh, sure shoot. we'll get to that stunt episode really soon. <laughs> uh, and other than that, I will want to thank uh, Stephen Hawk for joining me on this uh, redux of our horror episode. Yeah, let's hope it works this time. Yeah, fingers yeah, crossed. Shoot, that probably just occurred. But I mean, if you're all listening to this, <laughs> it definitely works. So we're set. Other than that, all I have to say is uh, bye bye. Bye. Well, that's it for us this week on Geeks with Kids. If you want to get a hold of us, you can send us an email at podcast at geekswithkids.ca. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekswithkids. Follow us on Twitter at geekswithkidstn. Check out our pics on Instagram at geekswithkids. And you can find all of this good stuff on our website at www.geekswithkids.ca. So if you like what you hear, why don't you hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.